good morning. It's good to be here with you this morning. Um, you know, I, the meet and greet is probably one of my favorite parts of the service. And so, um, like Toby and I, like we said, we ain't scared, right? So we got a good hug in over there. So you don't be afraid. You want to get a hug in after the service, go see Toby. He's giving them away free like he did pancakes this morning. Um, so go see him this morning. All right, so quick question for you as we begin our service this morning. How many of you remember anything from your childhood days? Okay, like I know some of you are still living your childhood in your 40s. That's not what I'm talking about. All right, how many of you remember back during your childhood years things that took place? Some of you, all right. Well, see, like I think when I was younger I had a lot of good things to remember. I know I didn't have any majorly bad things happen in my life when I was little, but for some reason I just don't have a lot of memories from my childhood. And it seems like the things I do remember are just kind of goofy and silly things. For example, I can remember as a child going out after church and going in between the buildings and looking behind air conditioner vents and trying to hunt for frogs. Like, I don't have a lot of childhood memories, but I can remember that, right? That's just really kind of goofy. But what I don't remember is whether or not I ever took some of those frogs and threw them on any of the girls that were standing around watching. So I can neither confirm nor deny that. I don't remember that at all. And honestly, I have a hard time imagining me, of all people, like doing something like that. just doesn't make any sense. What I can remember, though, is this. I do remember that I never tried out the whole frog-in-a-pot illustration to see if it was true. How many of you have ever heard of the frog-in-a-pot illustration? Some of you, okay, so for those of you guys who have heard of the illustration, let me just go ahead and tell you right now, I've got a video that we're going to watch, all right, so that we can see what this looks like. It's a visual. If you know what I'm talking about, I want to tell you before we ever watch the video, no frogs were harmed in the making of this video, all right? And if you've never heard of the frog in a pot illustration, you're going to see it in just a minute, and you'll understand why I needed to give that uh, encouragement up front, okay? So let's watch this video, and I'm going to try to talk along uh, as we watch it and help you explain what's going on. All right, so right out of the gate, they show this really, really ugly frog. I'm not sure why they did that, because the, the, like the, the star frog's really kind of cute. But here's the deal. Like, frogs are cold-blooded animals, which means unlike us, they can adjust their body temperature in order to adjust to the environment that they live in. All right, so the illustration uh, goes like if you take a frog and you hold it over a pot of boiling water, it's going to sense the danger and immediately try to get away. But if you took that frog and you put them in water that was room temperature, they would just kind of make themselves right at home. They kind of get comfortable. Frogs love water. Now, again, I've never tested this illustration, but it says that if you begin to turn the burner up slowly and slowly increase the heat, that the frog will begin adjusting its body temperature so that it can tolerate the changes. And as you continue to adjust the water so it gets hotter and hotter, the frog continues to adjust right along with it. And even as the water begins to reach its boiling point, it continues to try to adjust to tolerate the changes of its environment. But by then, it's too late. By then, and you'll see in just a minute, the frog has spent all of its energy and all of its strength trying to adjust and tolerate the increase in the temperature in its environments that by the time water hits its boiling points, it, it doesn't have the strength or energy to get away. We need some high-intensity music right here. Again, no frogs were harmed, okay? Don't freak out. Just, just keep watching, okay? You'll see in just a minute. 
He's going to show you the star frog. Austin thinks it's funny. All right, so here's your star frog, right, and here's your stunt frog, uh, alive and well. At least one of them is alive and well. We've been going through this series as a church, and we've been talking about the seven churches in the book of Revelation and trying to learn from them what they can teach us about experiencing renewal in the new year. And the church that we're going to be talking about today is very much like the frog in a pot. Why well, I took time to show that to you this morning. You see, the people in the church that we're going to talk about today were spending all kinds of energy and, and strength trying to adjust and tolerate the environment that they lived in. And they didn't even realize that they were getting dangerously close, dangerously close to, to not having the strength and energy to get out of harm's way while they still had the chance. I want to give you some background information on this church, and this will help us better understand why Jesus says what he says to them in Revelation chapter 2. So today we're going to be talking about the church in the city of Thyatira. And if you want to turn to Revelation chapter 2 and start looking for that, it's in verses 18 through 29. So we're going to be talking about the church in the city of Thyatira. And Thyatira was a small blue-collar city. Had a lot of working class people, which means not a lot of wealthy people living there, just mostly hardworking men and women. The city had a lot of trade guilds. Now, trade guilds were nothing more than just labor unions. Right? These were gatherings of people who all had the same job. For example, like all the car salesmen, all right, or even just maybe the chariot salesmen, to kind of put it in context, would come together. And when they came together, they did so to define the standards for their trade. They would try to find ways to help each other out. And then they were talking about what they could do to really protect the longevity and the prosperity of their particular trade. That's, that was a trade guild. And one of the struggles for Christ followers living in that kind of envir environment was that nearly every single trade guild had their own little g God that they worshipped. And they worshipped these gods in hopes of receiving protection and prosperity for their lives and for their livelihood. As part of the worship, they'd have regular feasts, they'd have all these parties, and when they had these parties, they would engage in all types of activity, even sexual activity. Now, if you were part of one of these trade guilds, even, if, even as a Christ follower, you were expected to worship that guild's little g-god, and you were expected to participate in everything that went along with the parties they threw to celebrate their god. So maybe you can kind of begin to imagine the tension for the Christ followers living in Thyatira in that kind of environment. But how did they handle that tension? Well, let's look in God's Word and see. If you have your Bible, if you're using a Bible app, let me invite you to open them, Revelation chapter 2. Let's see what Jesus has to say to the church in Thyatira living in this type of environment. Before we dive into God's Word, let me, let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you so much for the worship that we've already had in this place. Father, singing your praises, and yours is the kingdom, and yours is all the glory, God. Just worshiping you already this morning, Father, we know you've got something you want to say to us. God, I know as I've studied this text all week long, our culture resembles so much the culture of the, of the city of Thyatira. And so, Father, I know you've got things you want to speak into our hearts today. And so I pray, God, that right now that you would just begin to prepare our hearts and open our hearts to hear your word this morning so that we can allow your Holy Spirit to do his work of transforming our lives so we look more and more like Jesus. Father, we love you. Let your Holy Spirit speak to us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, going through verse 29. 
And to the angel of the church in Thyatira writes, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan... To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So first things first, let's look back at verse 18. Jesus says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira writes, The words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So right out of the gate, Jesus is saying to the church in Thyatira, Look, before I say anything else to you, let's get this straight. I am the Son of God. Nowhere else in in the book of Revelation do we see Jesus using this title for himself. So why would he use it here? Roman culture, which was the predominant culture in Thyatira, believed that Zeus was God. They believed Apollo, the son, S-U-N, God, was was the son, S-O-N, of Zeus. In other words, they believed in their culture that Apollo was the son of God. Emperor worship. You've heard Pastor Kay talk about this. Very predominant back in that day. It was a part of their culture, but they didn't think the emperor was the God. They believed he was more like Apollo on earth, which means they worshiped the emperor as the incarnate son of who they believed to be God. And so before he says anything else to the people of the church in Thyatira, Jesus is wanting to clear this up. In essence, he is saying, listen, I am the son of God. And my Father is the one true God. Zeus is not God. Apollo is not the Son of God. The Emperor is not the Son of God either. See, right out of the gate, Jesus is establishing His authority over any other authority in their lives or in their culture. Next, in verse 18, Jesus gives them a warning. He says, The Son of God has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished or polished bronze. What in the world does that mean? Well, one of the things it could mean is that Jesus, as the Son of God, has the ability to see with penetrating discernments. Another thing it could mean is this, that his feet were strong and powerful, able to execute judgment on even the most powerful of people. So first things first, let's get this right. Jesus is the all-powerful, all-seeing Son of the Most High, Almighty, capital G, God. And he 
had something to say to the people of the church in Thyatira. The first thing he has to say to them in verse 19 is that he knew their good works. Look at that verse with me. Jesus says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Now, before we talk about their good works, we need to get this right. Christ's followers are saved by God's grace through faith. We're saved by faith in Jesus, not by what we do for Jesus. But what we do, like our works, become the outward expressions that give evidence of this inward faith that we say we have in Jesus. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, says in James chapter 2, verse 17, that faith without works is useless. We are saved by faith in Jesus. But we, if we have been saved by faith in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit of Almighty God lives within us. And the outward expressions of that inner reality become the primary evidences that we truly have faith in Jesus. I mean, I understand, too, like anybody can fake it. Like we can put on a good show and act right and do all the right things, say all the right things. But you can only fake it for so long. Sooner or later... Like our works will either confirm or deny the reality of whether or not we believe in and belong to Jesus Christ. John goes on to give two examples of how the church in Thyatira's inner faith was being seen through outward expressions. The first of all, their love for Jesus was being seen in their service to God and others. Now, 1 John 3, 16-18 is probably one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. 1 John 3, 16-18 in the New Living Translation reads like this. It says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Like it's February. This is a reminder for some of you guys out there. Valentine's is 10 days away. All right, so it's February. This is the love month. You want to know what love looks like? Look to the cross. That's what love looks like. Jesus Christ gave his all for those he loved. And then it goes on, verse 16 in 1 John chapter 3, So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, if you're having a hard time trying to figure out what that looks like, he gives an example, starting in verse 17. He says, If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, then how in the world can the love of God be in that person? And then he says in verse 18, Dear children, Let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. In other words, don't just talk the talk about your love for Jesus. Walk the walk and show your love for Jesus by the way that you serve God and others. And the Christ followers in the city of Thyatira were not just talking the talk. They were walking the walk. Their faith in Jesus could also be seen in how they were patiently enduring persecution. Now remember, there's a lot of pressure in Thyatira. For Christ's followers to kind of cave in and compromise, give in to the, the, and tolerate the idol worship and sexual immorality that was a dominant part of their culture. And yet some of the people in the church in Thyatira were not giving in to the pressure. To their neighbors, to their co-workers, them not giving in to the pressure and participating in all of these things that were taking place in the culture, to those people, their neighbors and co-workers... This meant kind of a slap in the face. They were saying that they put their love for God ahead of their love for their neighbor and their love for and even the prosperity and security of the livelihood that many of them shared. So for those who weren't giving in to the pressure, they were facing persecution. 
And Jesus says that they were patiently enduring that persecution. You see, for the Christ followers in Thyatira, their love for and faith in Jesus, what they hadn't here could be seen in the outward expressions of their service to God and others and in their willingness to endure persecution. Their faith was genuine, but they were also growing in their faith. Look back to verse 19. Jesus said that their latter works exceeded the first. Like they weren't just going through all the right religious motions or checking off all the right religious boxes. They had genuine faith in Jesus, and their faith in Jesus was growing, which could be seen in the way that they were living their lives. So that's all good stuff so far. Jesus is pointing out all the good works that they're doing, but here is where he begins to warn them that they were a lot like the frog in a pot. I mean, he doesn't really say that in Scripture, uh, but that's kind of where he goes. All right, the Christ followers in Thyatira were living in this melting pot of all sorts of idol worship and sexual immorality. They were growing in their faith, but so was the idol worship and sexual immorality all around them in their culture. Many of the Christ followers were growing more and more tolerant even of their environment. And look what Jesus says to them next in verses 20 through 23. He says, but I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Jesus says, I gave her time to repent. But she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I know some of you are hung up on the fact that Jesus says, I will strike her children dead. And if I don't clear that up right now, you're not going to hear anything else I have to say the rest of the time I'm talking. So let me clear that up. To say that these were Jezebel's children is simply referring to the people who followed the teachings of Jezebel. Just like when we talk about being children of God, it just refers to us being followers of Jesus Christ and and His teachings. And Jezebel is not an actual woman living in Thyatira. I mean, she was a woman from the Old Testament who was married to King Ahab. That Jezebel, the one in the Old Testament, did some very evil things against God's priest, and she even led God's children away from God so that they were worshiping idols. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is simply using the name Jezebel as a label for some woman in Thyatira who was leading Christ's followers away from God. This woman in Thyatira was teaching that it was, it was perfectly fine, it's okay for you to worship Jesus and, and at the same time engage in all of this idol worship and all the sexual immorality that is dominant in their environment. I mean, God put them in that environment, right? Wouldn't it just make sense that if God put them there, He'd want them to stay in the good graces of all the people there and, and to make sure that their livelihoods and their jobs were okay and that they were prospering? I mean, God put them in that environment. See, Jesus was using the label Jezebel to wake up and warn the Christ followers in Thyatira. Jesus was saying this. He was saying judgment is coming. Danger is right around the corner. It's getting hot in here, and the water is about to boil with my judgments. But by His grace, Jesus gave them an opportunity. He gave them an opportunity to avoid the judgment, to get out while they still could. 
Jesus said in verses 21 through 22 that he gave this Jezebel every opportunity to repent. But she refused to turn away from her sexual immorality. And then he turns to the church, the Christ followers there in Thyatira, and he says, listen, I'm giving you the opportunity right now to repent and get out of judgment's way while you still can. So they had a choice to make. And we do too. Like they still had time to make the right choice, and so do we. And that choice is we either receive God's grace or we reject it. So we either continue to engage in all the cultural things around us that lead us away from God, recognize those things and repent of them, which simply means that we turn our backs on those things and we treat them as if they are dead to us. Like, they're dead to us. We're no longer, those things no longer have power over us. And when we repent, we turn our backs on those things, treat them as if they are dead to us. Then we turn to God and we begin to run to Him. And here's the great thing, we sang about this earlier, that when we begin to run to God, we begin to come alive in Jesus Christ to the life that we were meant to live in Christ. In verse 23, we see God's ultimate goal. It says, And all the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. You see, God's ultimate goal is not that we all get what we deserve according to our works. That is just a reminder. But God's ultimate goal is, and we see this all throughout Scripture, as you read from Old Testament all the way through Genesis to Revelation, this is all throughout Scripture, that every person would know that the God of Israel is the one true God and Jesus Christ is His Son. You see, that's what eternal life is all about. John chapter 17, verse 3 says, And this is eternal life. This is what eternal life is all about, that we know Him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. And you need to understand this this morning. This is an epidemic that happens in, in our culture, is that that knowing and that believing is not just something we do up here. See, that knowing right there, that knowing this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and know Jesus Christ. That knowing is so much more than something we do up here. It is an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus that leads to an intimate and personal knowledge of Jesus. And it's that intimate personal relationship and the knowledge that comes from it that begins to transform our lives. So we become looking more and more like Jesus Christ and able to live the lives He's called us to live. So let me summarize what Jesus has to say so far to the church in Thyatira. So far, he says this. He says, I know your works, all of them. Like, I know your faith is legitimate and that your faith is growing, but I also know that you are growing more tolerant of the idol worship and sexual immorality that dominates your environments. Many of you have grown so tolerant that you have become numb to the danger. Some of you are even beginning to engage in uh, worshiping these little g-gods and engaging in sexual immorality. Every one of you, will be judged according to your works. So repent if you need to, or face judgment. But not all the Christ followers, as we said earlier, in Thyatira were giving in to the pressure of their environment. Look at verses 24 through 28. Jesus says, But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, have not, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. 
the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. And there's some beautiful imagery in these verses that should give Christ's followers the, the encouragement and the hope to hold fast. And that phrase alone, hold fast, paints this amazing picture for us, and we'll talk about that more in just a minute. First, I want to talk about our future hope as seen in verses 26 through 28. First of all, there's the hope that Christ's followers will receive authority over the nations. Now, this is a reference back to Psalm chapter 2 which is a royal psalm. It's a psalm that would have been sung at a coronation for a new king. But it's also a messianic psalm, which simply just means it talks about Jesus. And this particular messianic or Jesus psalm talks about Jesus' future reign over all the earth. Look at these two verses from Psalm chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. You see, part of our hope as Christ followers is that once our lives on earth are over and the end of time has come, that we will reign on high with Jesus. And that's something Scripture says we should hold fast to. Next, there's hope for Christ followers that we will receive the morning star. Now, this is not really a star, but for the vast majority of days throughout the year, the morning star or the first star that we see is the planet Venus. I mean, just before dawn, at the darkest and coldest moment of the night, the morning star appears. And when it appears, we know the sun, the S-U-N, will soon be here. It's just the beginning of a new day. It's what it symbolizes. Something new, a fresh start. It's a symbol of hope. And for Christ's followers, the morning star should also be a symbol of hope for us. See, every time we look into the morning sky and we see that morning star, it should remind us that the sun, the S-O-N, capital S-O-N, will soon be here. You see, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to return. And when He does, He's going to gather His people together. And He's going to take them to be with Him in His Father's presence for all eternity. See, that's something that we should cling to, hold fast to, because in that place, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more suffering, pain, shame, or tears. Jesus says, hold fast to that. But what about this this idea of holding fast? I think I've told you guys about this before, but this is old sailor terminology. And it paints this great picture of a group of sailors kind of standing on a pier holding a rope. Or if you've ever been in the Navy, you know it's not a rope, it's called a line, right? So you've got a group of sailors standing on the pier, the ship's in front of them, they're holding the rope, I'll say that for your sake, and then behind them is this anchor point that the ship is meant to be safely secured to. And the only thing standing between that ship and it being safely secured to the pier is a group of men who really honestly don't stand a chance unless they work together. And even then, God's going to have to be gracious. And if you're trying to safely secure a ship to a pier when the weather is good and conditions are good, it's not really dangerous, it's not really difficult. 
And in perfect conditions, if you're on the pier and you're holding the line and you're trying to secure it to the anchor point, you might hear the words, hold fast. But they're not going to be said with a lot of urgency. But when a sailor heard those words with urgency, he knew that in that moment, the only thing that mattered was that he held on to that rope as tight as he could and he did not let go no matter what. So when the conditions are good, it's not that dangerous or difficult, but when the waters are rough, the ship begins to move up and down and in and out, and it becomes a whole lot more difficult to safely secure that ship. In that moment, when the sailor hears the words, Hold fast! And he knows that in that moment, the only thing that matters is not his individual life, but getting that ship safely secured to the anchor point on that pier. It didn't matter. Maybe he gets pulled up off the pier and slammed back down onto it or pulled over into the water and gets smashed between the boat and the pier. Those things didn't matter. The sailor knew in that moment that the only thing that mattered was holding fast and not let go no matter what. Church, I want you to hear this. Like that group of sailors in that picture, that's us as the body of Christ. That's us. And our job on earth right now is to just live our lives for God's glory and for His kingdom to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we're living for His glory, we also want to live for the greater good of others. And the greatest thing we can do for anybody else is to help them get their lives safely secured to Jesus Christ. In that moment, nothing else matters but living for God's glory and the greater good of others. That's the only thing that matters. And there's urgency to the call to hold fast. The conditions are not perfect. The world we live in today is not the way God created it to be. There's urgency to our mission to hold fast. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. You see, as a Christ follower, I can look all throughout Scripture and I can find more than enough reasons to hold fast to the confession of my hope. See, I can find reasons to hold fast and to to live my life for God's glory and the greater good of others, no matter how difficult life may be following Jesus. There's hope all throughout Scripture because He who promised is more than faithful. In the very last verse of our text in Revelation chapter 2, it says, He who has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The band's going to begin making their way back up to the stage And as we start thinking about how we apply these verses to our lives, I want to ask you simply two questions. All right, two questions. It's really one question, but you got two options here. It says, which one of these labels best fits your life right now? Are you the frog in the pot? Or are you the safely secured ship? See, if you're the frog in the pot, that means you've become comfortable with ungodly things in your life and all around your life. If you're the frog in the pot, it means maybe you've grown numb to the dangers of adjusting your life and even trying to adjust God's standards so that you can justify ungodly things and even tolerate ungodly things in and around your life. Are you the frog in a pot? And even if you see that you are, are you willing to admit it? Are you ready to turn away from whatever that is Whatever that ungodly environment is that's around you, are you willing to turn away from that and turn your eyes to Jesus and begin running to Him while you still can?
Are you the frog in a pot? Or are you the safely secured ship? It means have you eternally secured your life to Jesus Christ? Like He's the only anchor that can hold your life for all eternity. Are you the safely secured ship? Have you tied your life to Jesus? Have you made the commitment, not just to believe in Jesus, but have you made the commitment to follow Jesus? Do you believe and do you belong to Jesus? And if you do, then hold fast. Hold fast to the confession of your hope without wavering, because He who promised is more than faithful. Maybe your hold on Jesus has begun slipping. And if that's the case, listen, it might be time for you to regrip. It might be time for you to renew your life. See, every single one of us, we're gonna, our grip's going to slip. We're human. Things are going to happen, and we're gonna begin to, our grip's going to begin to slip. You may need to renew or regrip right now, today, and then guess what? Tomorrow, you may need to do the same thing. And every single day after that, you may need to regrip and renew your commitment to Jesus Christ. But here is some encouragement for you. Like, Jesus never has to regrip. Like, He never has to renew His commitment to us. His commitment to us is eternal. It's secure. That in and of itself should give us more encouragement to, to commit our lives to holding fast to the one who never lets go of us. Hold fast. If you've never made the commitment to follow Jesus, then your life is not eternally secure. And you'll have a chance today to actually commit your life to follow Jesus. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. The band's going to sing and lead us in our closing song. And that's your opportunity to, to respond. However God's spoken to you this morning, maybe this morning He's, he's starting to show you some of those un, ungodly things in your life, or maybe that are even around your life. And He's showing you that you're getting way too comfortable with these things. You're getting awful close to danger. The bowling point's just right around the corner. Maybe God's telling you to get away while you still can. If that's you, how will you respond this morning? Maybe God's telling you this morning that you've never secured your life to Jesus Christ. And if you've never tied your life to Jesus, it takes more than just believing in Him. I grew in the church too. I grew up in the church believing in Jesus. But I was 21 years old when I gave my life to belong to Jesus. And that's when it made the difference. Have you ever committed your life to follow Jesus? Do you belong to Him? If you've never made that commitment, then you can do that this morning. You can tie your life to Christ and have your life eternally secure this morning. After we pray and as we sing, I'll be standing here at the front if you need to make a public commitment of any kind this morning. You come. Share those commitments with us. Maybe you need to pray. You can pray where you're sitting. You can pray up here at the altar. Find a friend. Pray with them. Don't be scared of the flu. Hold their hand. Whatever you need to do, pray. Let's spend some time this morning responding to God and His Word. Let's not let it go in our ears and out the other. Let's not try to block Him out this morning. Let's hear God what he's saying to us. He's given us a chance this morning to respond while we still can. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. God, we thank you for the opportunity to respond to you this morning. And God, I pray that it will not go to waste. God, you said your word never returns void, and I believe in my heart this morning that you're turning people this morning. You may be turning our hearts away from ungodly things that we've gotten comfortable with in life, or you may be turning our hearts to you so that we can run to you and begin to come alive in Jesus Christ, but you're turning lives this morning. Father, help us to be receptive of that this morning, to, to hear what you're saying, to sense you're moving in our lives, and then respond with obedience. God, 
we love you so much. Will help us live our lives in a way that reflects love for you. Pray this in the powerful name of Jesus.